Good morning. Good to see you here in the main room. Good to see you uh, on the other over video overflows if you're there. And if you're watching online, a very special greeting to you. If you're watching online, spread out for us a little bit, all right? <laughs> oh, man. I don't know about you, but I hate to wait. Does anybody else hate to wait? Oh, man. There's just something about waiting where you want to go on a journey and then you have to wait. It's so frustrating because I think there's something in humanity that we are wired to move. We are wired for a journey. And uh, living here in Dubai, this hub, uh, we love to travel. Anybody else like the airport? I love the airport. Well, it's kind of like a love-hate relationship, but I love the airport. Anybody else love to travel? See new places, new journeys, and you're like, ooh. Good. I get to get caught up on all these movies as well. It's awesome. And when we get ready to go, we, we pack our suitcase and then we have our tickets and then we have our documents for identity. <laughs> have you ever been to the airport and you've forgotten this thing? Your passport, do you know where it is? Mm, some of you just had a heart attack. That's all right. <laughs> I remember my wife and I were at the Paris airport one time, and there was a short flight from Paris to London. It was a very quick flight. And we noticed two people in front of us at passport control. Uh, it was a, a family with older kids. And we noticed all of a sudden that the, the conversation got a little heated. <laughs> the volume went up a little bit. <laughs> and, and I thought, oh, no, it doesn't look good. And you know it's bad when passport control goes... So I leaned over to Darby and I was like, oh, this is going to be good. So I leaned in <laughs> and I wanted to hear what was happening. And, and all I knew is that this family's journey had stopped. <laughs> they were not allowed to progress because there was some problem with their identity documents. And these identity documents, you know, if you've ever been there and there's something in question about who you are and your identity, you're stopped in your tracks. And it's frustrating, isn't it? When we don't know who we are or other people don't know who we are, we're stopped and we hate to wait. <laughs> and it got me thinking about humanity. Now, it's, we have many different passports from over 100 different countries at Fellowship here, even more if you're watching online. And even though we have passports from all over the world, there, we have a lot of things that make us common. There's a lot in humanity that we can define. And that's what we're going to look at today, the origin of the, the definition, asking the question, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? Because I think right now we live in a day and age where humanity is asking that question. There's a lot of questions we have out there of what does it mean to be human? We're, we're in the midst of uh, relativism where truth is relative on the back of postmodernism headed philosophically into, well, well, what's true for you is different than what's true for you. And we think, well, what, what is truth? Where, what, where is all that? We find ourselves uh, questioning what's going to happen with uh, the gender identity questions that are out there. And in a world that self-identifies as anything, we find ourselves incredibly confused. 
new technology. We are right on the cutting edge of some major revolutions in technology that some people are saying humanity may become obsolete. Have you heard that? Open AI and chat GPT. So I thought, who better than to figure out what it means to be human? I'll have a conversation with open AI. So I talked to artificial intelligence, chat GPT, and I had a question about the humanity identity crisis. And I, and I love this response. It says, I said, write me a talk introduction about humanity's identity crisis. The current web page context is empty. <laughs> but, and then, and then actually some helpful things, ChatGPT had said. An identity crisis can occur when people are unsure of who they are or what their purpose is. Oh, sound kind of familiar? That's creepy. This can lead to feelings of confusion, anxiety, and depression. Confusion, anxiety, and depression levels are at an all-time high right now. In order to overcome an identity crisis, it is important to understand your values and beliefs and how they relate to your life. I hope this helps with your talk introduction. (laughs) I tell you what, I never thought I would be quoting artificial intelligence for a sermon introduction on what it means to be human. (laughs) We live in confusing times. And what we're going to see is we're not going to look for uh, the greatest influencers out there. We're going to go back to the original, the creator and sustainer of all influencers, the only one that truly creates. We're going to hear from God himself. We're going to continue our series in the book of Genesis, and we're going to uncover the answer to this question, what does it mean to be human? Not information that's been aggregated by artificial intelligence, but the one who has created us, the grand maker of all things, God himself. And we're going to see in this journey that really it is about God making us. Last week we talked about God and his power and creating uh, all of the world. And now we're going to talk about God creating humans. And we're going to see that, that we actually can come with a little manual that explains who we are. We've been issued identity documents by God. And we see that here, and we notice in Genesis chapter 2, starting with verse 4, we see the big idea right in the beginning. Genesis 2-4 is designed as what's called a chiasm. A chiastic structure in Scripture is kind of like an Oreo cookie or an Oreo biscuit. No matter where you come from, you know Oreo, right? An Oreo biscuit, Oreo cookie, has two uh, what on either side? Yeah, chocolate cookies. Oh, man. Chocolate cookies are good, but really, on the inside, there's, the, there's that sweet cream. You can slide it off, scrape it, make a double, triple stack. All that cream is, is the good stuff. And in a chiastic structure, we see that in the Hebrew, it talks about the heavens. Then it talks about the earth. And then we get to the sweet, sweet cream right there in the middle. When they were created in the day that the Lord God made. The focus of the text is what God has done as he has been creating. This term, generations, pops up. It's called Toledot in Hebrew. And the Toledot series are really important in the book of Genesis. This is the generations. Here are the generations. Anytime you see generations or whatever word is translated into your Bible, Toledot, it's a marker, a 
flag that organizes the whole book of Genesis. It happens 11 times. In fact, on the slide, you can go back and read the other 11 instances in the book of Genesis where Toledot is used. It guides us. It's like this huge pop-up ad that says, hey, wait a second, there's a new uh, beginning. There's a new generation. There's a new thing for you to uncover in this section of the Bible. All right, so anytime you get to Toledot, think to yourself, wait a second, Here's, it says generations, or whatever it's translated in your Bible. It says generations. Let me see. There's a, there's a, new, uh, a new chapter. All right, so we see here the first part of what it means to be human is that God makes us. God makes us. Just look in Genesis 2 at all the things that God does. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. And because he rested from all his work that he had done in creation. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was growing up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. You see, all the things that God did, he finished his work, he rested, he blessed, he breathed life into the nostrils of the man. I love that, breathed life, ruach. It's, it's the spirit of God just, because there is life in the breath. In fact, uh, if you were here last week or you're watching online, raise your hand, either physically here or uh, online, just raise your hand in the chat. Right? Raise your hand if you were here last week, all right? Now go like this. That's living proof. <laughs> the last week, not only has God given all of humanity breath, he has sustained you. <laughs> He's given you breath. And chances are throughout this week, you haven't thought, breathe in, breathe out. No, you haven't. God is continuing to give you breath. It's God that gives us life. And we see that God makes us. And in this world of uh, makers, whether it's being a chef on a cooking show or working with wood or whatever project it is, uh, we are in a kind of a maker renaissance where uh, all the makers are uh, producing content on YouTube. And it really isn't making as in creating. It's just taking other stuff that God has made and then recreating something else. With our identity, we have to realize that our identity, who we are, that God has created who you are. Our identity is received, it's not achieved. Our identity is received, it's not achieved. It's not up to us to take the pen, to look at our God-issued identification, to take that pen and then to write it ourselves. Because when we start writing it, we write it and rewrite it, and then the ink gets all smeared, and all of a sudden, no wonder it's confusing. You see, God has made us. He has made us. Our identity is not in what we do. It's in who God has made us to be. 
When someone asks you the question, so, who are you? What do you answer? Do you have a maker mentality? Do you have a maker mentality that you've come here to make a name for yourself? To make a name for yourself back home, to make a name for yourself in your profession, to make a name for yourself in your family, to create in yourself, to prove something to others or achieve your, per- your identity? Or do you simply just receive the identity that God has made you with? You see, what drives us to work 50, 60, 70 hours a week is that when we realize, when we think that it's up to me to create my own identity, then I'm always doing and never done. I'm always doing and I never am done if it's up to me to create my own identity. But if I receive the identity that God has made for me, I love uh, what Isaiah says. When Israel is, there's enemies attacking Israel, God says, uh, for thus said the Lord, the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. If you're like me, and you find yourself a little bit anxious or, or a little stressed, I make a long list of to-dos and in overworking and achievement, I think I'll be saved. In loudness and frantic actions is where I seek for my strength instead of just receiving the identity of who God has made me to be. You see, there's a rhythm in the book of Genesis. On the first, first six days, there's work and then there's rest. And then there's work and rest. And then there's, and then there's, and then there's, and then rest. Work, rest, work, rest, work, 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 work. The more we work without resting in, in that rhythm, the further away from God we get. That's why we can rest because your identity is already made. You can rest. And it, it sets up a We did a whole series on work. If you're on YouTube, follow, stay with us on this message. But then afterwards, look at our series on work. We talked about what the Bible says about work. And that work-rest rhythm is so important. And if you've just thought to yourself, I know, but you don't know me. I can't rest. Well, the answer to this question, do I have a maker mentality? The answer is yes. All right, because really, really, we are designed to rest. We need rest. All right, so this rhythm of work, rest, work, rest, work, rest. We have to ask ourselves, do we have a maker mentality when it comes to the definition of what it means to be human? Do we have a maker mentality that that we take the pen from God and we say, no, God, I want to be myself. I I want to create this. I I know who you made me be. No, 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 I want to do this. I want to do that. And that's just what had happened when my wife and I were in Paris in that airport. You see, as I leaned in and I leaned in a little bit more, I could tell the problem. The dad's document said who he was. The wife's document said who she was. But their 17-year-old had taken his passport 
his UK passport, he had opened it up and he had changed his birthday in his passport so that he could go to a club the night before. Woo! All I know is there are serious consequences. And this is when the authorities came into this family. They said, do you recognize that there are serious uh, consequences for altering an issued identity document? They came with the the handcuffs and it it was so tragic. And I thought, oh man, this guy is in so much trouble. Not by passport control, but by his dad. His dad is gonna kill him. (laughs) And the authorities. And you might be thinking, oh, that 17-year-old didn't know how great he had. I'd love to have a UK passport. (laughs) But the same is true for us. You have an identity given to you by the Most High God. You are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. You are in God's family. Why would we take that identity and try to create our own just for one little thing? And you see that God makes us, but he doesn't just make us to be alone. No, he makes us for relationship. He makes us for relationship. That's the, the second part as this unfolds. Not only does God make us, but he makes us for relationship. It's not good for us to be alone. It says, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plants of the field had yet sprung up, it doesn't say God, this big guy in the sky. No, it says the Lord God, the Lord God, God himself, the Lord God translating Yahweh or Adonai, God's name. It's a very relational term. And the shift from Genesis 1 to Genesis 2 shows us that the Lord God is, the Lord God formed the man. In verse 15, it says, the Lord God took the man and he put the man in the garden and the Lord God commanded the man saying, it's what God has done. He's created humanity to be in relationship with him. Do you have a relationship not, not are you religious, but do you have a relationship with your creator? Do you have a, a relationship that you know him by name? You are created to be in relationship with him. If you don't have a relationship with God, we would love to meet you right over here at the end of this service. And we would love to answer questions you have because the only thing stopping you with the relationship with God is this maker mentality of you trying to do things on your own. We'd love to tell you more about Jesus because you need that relationship with God, the Lord God. But we see in Genesis, there was actually a pattern. And if you, hear, you were here last week, you know, uh, day one, God works, speaks, creates, and it was good. Day two, God creates, he speaks, he makes, and it is good. Day three, it is Day four, it is good. Day five, it is good. Day six, it is? It's not good. No, it says it's not good. Actually, in Genesis 1, it says it's very good, yes, because he made humanity. But actually, we see in Genesis 2, it says it's not good. It's not good. The Lord God said it is not good. Ah, why not? 
Why isn't it? Okay, we have to figure this out. It's not good that the man should be alone. So not only are we designed to be in relationship with God, we're designed to be in relationship with others. It's not good that the man should be alone. So I will make him a helper fit for him. It's not good for man to be alone. And so that's why God has made, uh, that's why God made woman to be a helper to him. And all the husbands in the room said, (laughs) gentlemen, I gave you an easy one. I gave it so easy. So it's not good for man to be alone. God says, I will make a helper for him. And all the husbands said, that was just a little bit better. Maybe just a little bit better. We'll, we'll, get, we'll give you another chance in just a little bit, all right? All right, now, as we talk about, uh, as we, <laughs> I can't believe it, guys. And, and <laughs> there's, there's some conversations going on here that are just brilliant, all right? Oh, man. Uh, so what God does is he sees the man. He says it's not good. So instead of just creating, what God does is, is he says to the man, now, I want you to name all the animals, all right, name all the animals. So he sees a, a, a long neck and a little head and really long legs. And the man goes, oh, uh, giraffe, male and female giraffe. Okay. He sees this other thing that's uh, black and white and striped all over and kind of looks like a horse, but not really. And he goes, oh, that's a zebra or zebra, depending upon where you're from. <laughs> that's right. He goes, oh, look, male and female zebra. Okay. Huh. There's a, a male and female donkey. There's a a male and female. He goes through all the male and female line. He goes through all the animals, male, female, male, female, male, female. Oh, wait a second. There's something missing. So God then makes, it says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs from man and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Even in the Hebrew, uh, the the name for uh, man and woman, Isha and Isha, that she is from, from man. The goal is to be together. So the first question you ask is, are you connected with God? Are you connected with God? First question. And then we know that God has made us for relationship, that he has made men and he has made women. He has made biological males and biological females. And we live in a day and age right now that this can be an incredibly explosive issue of what does it mean to be male and what does it mean to be female? Uh, and we live in a country that, that aligns with males being males and females being females. But I tell you, it's incredibly confusing. It can be at least. 
When humanity has taken the, the issued documents of our identity and we have rewritten it so many times with so many self-identifiers that it's just a blurry, inky mess. If you've come here today and you don't feel at home in your body or you're watching online and you don't feel at home in your body, if you feel confused regarding gender, I want you to know that Jesus doesn't want you to stay confused. God doesn't want you to be confused. That's why he tells us really clearly. He clears all that up. And even though it might feel like a permanent ink mess on your own passport of identity, Jesus can wipe all that away so you can discover who you really are. Being a biological male, being male, biologically female, being a female. And it can be incredibly confusing. And if, if, you're, if you're struggling with that, if you don't feel at home in, in your own body, there's a reason that you don't feel at home because this whole world is broken. And we'll get to more of why it's broken next week. But just know that Jesus doesn't want you to be confused. And so we want this to be a safe place to enter into dialogue, knowing that it's incredibly pervasive in all forms of media. God doesn't want us to be confused. That's why not only did he tell us the truth in his word, he sent the person of truth, Jesus, so that we would see the way, the truth, and the life. So one issue is, is men and women. Another issue in Genesis 2 that comes up is same-sex attraction, relationships, between a man and a woman, and, and even marriages and relationships, it can be incredibly confusing. It, it can be so confusing that we don't even know which voice to listen to, what better voice to listen to than God himself, your maker. God doesn't want you to be confused with relationships. If you've come here today and the reason that you didn't say amen about husbands and wives earlier is that you're not married. <laughs> and, and you would say, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm not married. I, I want to hear you know really clearly there is nothing incomplete about you if you're not married. If you are single, you are fully complete in Christ. And a lot of times as we talk about marriage, the church can communicate, oh, well, you're okay, but really you'll be perfect when you're married. Uh-uh. All right? Or, oh, you're okay now, but really you'll be happy and content when you're married. Mm -mm. The Bible's really clear on singleness. All right? Now, if you're single and you're celibate and that's the path God has you on, yes and amen, you're fully complete in Christ. All right? Now, if you're married... Just to be really clear, God, God also wants clarity on marriage, marriage between a biological male and a biological female. That marriage is meant for a, a male and a female. And, and the goal of marriage, the goal of marriage is not happiness. <laughs> the goal of marriage is not happiness. The goal of marriage is oneness. And oneness does not mean sameness. 
The goal of marriage is oneness. And as we talk about marriage between one man and one woman, again, if, you, if you're wrestling or you're confused about same-sex attraction, we want this to be a place where you can, can dialogue and talk because God doesn't want you to be confused. He's actually quite clear. Your creator is clear and we want to be able to engage in that conversation and seek God uh, to be the way, the truth, and the life. We want to engage in that conversation. And so as we engage in the conversation, you may be thinking, how do I engage in this conversation with my friends, my family? What does that look like? Uh, I, I was, I've been really shaped by a pastor friend of mine who grew up in the LGBT community with two moms. Uh, his original parents both split and they both uh, identify as same-sex attracted. And he grew up in that lifestyle he became a follower of Jesus, read what God has to say, and he talks about how he navigates how to speak the truth in love. And so some of these are shaped by my friend, but, but I think the first, in engaging in this conversation, the first rule is to make it about Jesus, not opinions. Make it about Jesus first and foremost, not opinions. All right, number two, seek influence, not arguments. When everything goes wrong in someone's life, you want them to come to you knowing that you have a relationship with God, not just to win an argument. And don't make it about issues. All right, so number one, make it about Jesus, not opinions. Number two, seek influence, not arguments. All right, and number three, love others. Love others. And loving others doesn't mean that you just keep quiet about everything. No, loving others, there's three questions to ask and you're engaging in a conversation of loving others. Number one, is it right? Does it align with truth, all right? Is it right? Number two, is it honoring of others? And number three, is it empowering? If it's not right and it's not honoring and it's not empowering, keep your mouth shut. Or keep your fingers quiet. <laughs> All right? So as we engage in the conversation, make it about Jesus, seek influence in our arguments, and love others. Because we see that God's design for us is that we would know who we are so we can be on this journey with him. Not confused or anxious or worried or wrapped up or muddled or even tongue-tied to, to be worried about what we can say or what we can't say and we're afraid of getting canceled. No. God has wired us to be on the move. That's why he created a man and woman. He created them. <clears throat> the goal of marriage again is oneness. That's right. That's why it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, when it comes to a man leaving his father and mother and holding fast to his wife, remember who said that? God, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> All right? Now, in some cultures, this can be incredibly complex. Husbands, your number one priority, your number one allegiance, the number one relationship in your life is your? Oh, good, I'm glad you didn't say mom. Good job, gentlemen. <laughs> Good job, guys. That's right. It's your mom. It's your, no, it's your wife. All right. It's your wife. 
Wives, the number one relationship, your number one allegiance is to your husband. That's right. It's incredibly complicated. You leave your family and you cleave together. Some of you are going to have really good conversations after this. I know. All right. And the goal in marriage, the oneness, is a relational oneness, but also a physical oneness. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, of all the things I've talked about in this message about what it means to be human, some of the most intense feedback I've received is to say, well, you shouldn't have said that they were naked and not ashamed. (laughs) Again, who said it's in the Bible? (laughs) There's nothing shameful about it. So if you're married, I'll let you sort out a good application on that one, okay? (laughs) God makes us for relationship, but he also, he makes us for relationship with a purpose. With a purpose, because we are wired to move. We hate to wait. Look at what it says in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of any of the trees of this garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to to work and to keep it. God made him for a purpose. Have you ever had a job where you don't know what the purpose of your job is? Yeah, it's so, it's mind numbing if you don't know what your purpose is. Anybody come to Dubai searching for the purpose of life? We, we need a purpose. And God put him there and he said, you can eat from any of these trees except for one. Now, why did God do that? Well, you'll have to come next week because Ray is going to unpack that next week. <laughs> All right. But this week... This week, we are wired for a purpose. We have our documents. We know who we are. We know who we are in Jesus. I love Ephesians 8. We quote the first two verses and sometimes leave out the third one. Ephesians 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then we leave it there sometimes. Yeah, I have a relationship with God because of Jesus. All right. (laughs) Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Are you walking in the good works God has prepared in advance for you to do? Or do you find yourself confused and stuck? waiting to sort out these identity issues? Are, are you out there about God's work that he has laid out before you in this city, in this year, at this time period? Or are you chasing after things like likes on social media or more followers or more money or more resources or a false sense of security? All of that stuff will vanish. It doesn't matter. We are wired to walk out in the good works that God has laid out in advance for us to do. So God makes us for relationship 
with a purpose, so let's go. Let's go, let's go and make disciples. Let's go and enjoy our identity. Let's go and share the truth and life of Jesus. Let's go and live differently for God's glory. Let's go because we hate to wait. In fact, I felt really sorry for that couple that, uh, that, that had the son that changed his identity documents and it made me look at mine to make sure, okay, let me make sure everything is legible, everything is clear. <laughs> let me just make sure. And I handed the passport there. They looked through it. Okay, great. You're on your way. And we continued the adventure. I look forward to how God is going to use us as we continue the adventure he has us on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reminder in your word. We thank you that even in confusing times like this, that we can hear you clearly as our creator. We confess there are times that we've remained silent. Help us to speak truth and love. Help us to look like Jesus in conversations. Father, help us to leave our mother and father in a cleave with our spouse. We need your help. We thank you for creating us. Thank you for creating us, but not just creating us to do nothing. Thank you for the good works that you've prepared beforehand for us to do. Show us what that looks like even now as we go for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name through the Spirit.